I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Curzon Cinemas podcast. We are recording this episode in Wroclaw in Poland because last night was the 29th European Film Awards ceremony here in the city and we were lucky enough to be there. I'm Sam Howlett and this week I'm joined by Jake Cunningham. Hiya. So uh, yeah, this is a European Film Awards special. So over the next uh, 40 minutes or so... We're going to go through each of the uh, nominations last night, go through the nominees who eventually won, and just talk about what we thought of that, as well as having an interview with Best Screenwriter nominee Paul Laverty uh, for his film I, Daniel Blake. Jake, what do you think of Rotslov? I've been loving Rotslov, I've got to say. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it here. When we first arrived, we didn't really approach any of the centre of the city and we very much came through the urban side of it, lots of apartment buildings, very quite brutalist. Not against that, but I read this this was a pretty old city and I was a bit confused as to where we actually were going. Um, But then we we got here after sort of getting up at four o'clock in the morning and eventually by the first afternoon we had a wander into the town and it's it's really really lovely uh particularly at the time we're coming at uh, this at uh, christmas they've got a massive massive christmas market going on in the middle of the city and the best way to describe it is like a giant bruges market square mixed with kind of post-war berlin yeah, that's right. There's kind of this complete mash of like old and new buildings like right next to each other. Mm. So it does look a bit strange sometimes, but I really like that. Yeah, and it's the um, European capital city of culture this year. And this uh, European Film Awards kind of marks the end of that. But when you're going around the city, you can completely feel that. And yeah. I think that's pretty, you can see that, feel that in the history of it as well. When you look at the buildings, uh, that, that meshing of past and present as well particularly the um the new horizons cinema yeah that's recently opened which uh which is really really special so what we're doing here in poland is we've been uh basically covering this weekend uh the weekend of the european film awards on behalf of curls on home cinema uh so a big thank you to them for uh asking us to come and do this for them 
We've been to a few press conferences, done a few interviews, and then last night at the awards, we were on the red carpet, taking some pictures, doing a couple of interviews, and then we went into the press room where we where I watched a screening of the ceremony and we live-tweeted it on uh, the Curzon Home Cinema Twitter account. What we've done is, me and Jake, we wrote down our predictions for each of the major categories, and we've also written down a wild card, so something we think might have happened. Yeah, so uh, we, we wrote these down yesterday yeah. afternoon before the awards. Neither of us know what the other has written down, but that what we do know is that there is a Thuringian sausage in it for the winner. This is a, it's actually a German sausage, not a Polish sausage, but it's something that we've both enjoyed yeah, over yeah. this weekend. <laughs> There's quite a few of them about, and they're quite lovely. And so we thought, you know, we better, we've got to put something on the line, haven't we, for these? Because it's not just pride at stake. It's, it's sausage. Exactly. It's nice German sausage. Exactly. Uh, right, so should we get straight into it? Yeah, let's the do first it. award. So uh, the first award we're going to talk about is the People's Choice Award. Uh, now the uh, English sponsor of the People's Choice Award is Curzon Home Cinema. So this is quite an important award. And the nominees for that are... A Man Called Over, A War, Aferim, Body, Fire at Sea, Julieta, Mustang, Spectre, The Danish Girl, The Lobster, The Brand New Testament, and The High Sun. Now there's some in there that I was not expecting to be seeing. Yeah. Film like Spectre or The Danish Girl. Initially, uh, you either think they're they're films from last year or they're, they're bigger productions than anything else on there. But they're very international films as well. When you look at when a James Bond film is all always pretty globe trotting, but Spectre is very much a European. Yeah. Uh, bar that opening sequence in Mexico. There was a lot happening across Europe. There would have been a lot of production set up across the continent. And you've got other ones in there like The Lobster, which has got a phenomenal amount of funding from across Europe, the UK, Ireland, Greece, France, the Netherlands like a proper co-production as well. And you've got smaller films that perhaps may have got nominations and interest last year. For instance, Mustang was actually at these awards last year after it had uh, runs in film festivals. And so that's what would have put it up for nominations. But then it's come back in for the People's Choice Award as that's when it's actually gone into cinemas over this year and people have gone to see it and the people have voted for it. Right, so who did you predict then? For the People's Choice Award, I predicted... The Lobster. The Lobster, oh, yeah. Interesting choice. Yeah, um, I went for The Lobster for exactly uh, what I just said, because out of all the films nominated, it was the one that was co-produced by the most number of countries. Okay. Uh, and I thought that would be like a nice collective effort to reward. My prediction was... Julieta. Julieta. Ah, yeah. I think Julieta's a a good choice as well because it's been such a success. Yeah, I think never underestimate the power of Almodovar's fans. Um, And Julieta, it was... uh, I don't know if it's England, but it was the highest grossing non-Bollywood foreign language film at the UK box office since 2012's Untouchable. So I just thought it's it's been huge across Europe. Uh, Almodovar is... 
kind of probably the most popular European auteur at the moment. Yeah, I, I, out, outside of Europe, yeah. he's a well-established name. Yeah, so I thought he would have that. But we were both wrong for that one, because uh, that went to Body. Body, which I can't say I've seen. No. So yeah, that was the first award. People's Choice Award went to Body. Yeah. Okay, so the next award was uh, the first one to be voted for by the uh, European Film Academy, the jury, and that was for Best European Screenwriter. And the nominations for that were Christian Mungu for Graduation, Paul Laverty for I, Daniel Blake, who you'll be hearing from later on in the show, Emma Donoghue for Room, Marin Arda for Tony Erdman, and Thomas Vasilewski for United States of Love. Yeah. Um, this is a really interesting one, particularly for Room, um, because um, I think this is a really interesting category, because unlike other awards ceremonies, uh, the Academy Awards, for instance, in America, there is no line between adapted screenplay or original screenplay. Mm. It is just screenplay. So Emma Donoghue was the novel writer of Room and then has adapted her own book for the screen. Whereas you've got Tony Erdman, that's completely an original. Yeah, the I Don't Know Blake, completely original. Um, but yeah, where, yeah. So there, there's quite a diverse selection. So like Tony Erdman, Marinard has based this quite personally about her father in many ways, I think. And then Paul Levity has done a lot of research about other people's lives. So there's you know there's quite distinct, uh, different approaches to writing mm. on display here. So who was your prediction? Um, my prediction for screenwriter was Marin Arda for Tony Erdman. Marin Arda, yeah. My prediction was oh Paul Laverty, Laverty. yeah. Um, and the winner was Marin Arda for Tony Erdman. That is one point to me. That's one point to Jen. Yeah. Uh, after watching Tony Erdman, I couldn't imagine anyone else winning the award because it is it's so it's so unlike anything. <laughs> that I'd seen before. Yeah, I I think um, before the ceremony started, I wasn't entirely sure how... I knew Tony Erdman was incredibly popular, but I think before now it hadn't won many awards. Yeah, because when it came out of Cannes, it yeah. was like, widely regarded by critics that that should have been the winner. Right. Um, but yeah, and it hadn't won those awards, so I thought maybe it was more of an audience film and a critics film rather than actually an awards film. Mm. Um, well, I mean, it's not sort of lavishly made. It's quite slow. It's, it never sort of shouts at you about how clever or funny. Yeah, or it's also not particularly... Like a lot of... You expect a lot of European films, and I think a lot of the films last night were, that kind of European art house aesthetic. Which I wouldn't put Tony Erdman in at all, actually. No, no, it's very... I think very, it's quite broad. Yeah, it's very uh, stylistically neutral, yeah. I think. But I would really love to read the screenplay for it, because mm. so much of Tony Erdman comes from the gaps between the dialogue. And I would love to read how much was in the script and how much was just down to the chemistry and awareness between Marinada and her actors because it felt so fresh and s almost improvised because you are constantly thinking as you're watching it, you've just got to be making this up. Yeah. Uh, so I'd really love to take a look at that. Um, but it is a real achievement and particularly for how long it is to keep you engaged 
I think Marinada said in the Q&A yesterday that she was uh, watching a lot of films to get a sense of structure and so to keep a comedy drama just fresh for the best part of three hours and to keep you engaged in that is a real achievement. Absolutely. Um, and I have a feeling it may not be the last time you hear the words Tony Erdman on this podcast. Uh, but next up we have uh, the award for European Documentary and the nominees for that were 21 Times New York, A Family Affair, Fire at Sea, Mr. Gaga, S is for Stanley and The Land of the Enlightened. Prediction please Jake. Uh, my prediction for Best Documentary was... Fire at Sea. My prediction was Fire at Sea. Fire at Sea. And the winner was Fire at Sea. We smashed it. We smashed it. Yes. Well done. Points all round. Yeah. Um, So you actually spoke to Gianfranco Rossi on the director of the film on this very podcast. Yeah, a few few months months ago. ago. Yeah, had a nice chat with him in London. Uh, Very interesting man. Very, very passionate about the subject matter of Fire at Sea. Um, I think that there was a lot of talk last night about the state of Europe at the moment and obviously 2016 has been an interesting year for Europe um, but, uh, and involved in that, that dialogue is the migrant crisis and this is a film that tackles it so I think that's what really spoke to the Academy that a film is actually talking about it and showing how, what the reality is. So I think a lot of the politics that people were talking about last night at the awards and over the last 12 months occasionally people can feel quite distant from it and they want to engage in the debate and they want to be part of it. But the thing with Fire at Sea is that it really takes you down to a ground level and you feel like you're actively engaging with it. Yeah, definitely agreed. And this is a artificial eye release, so um, we're particularly proud of that and um, really pleased that it's won. And it's available on Curzon Home Cinema, so please do check it out. I think it's one of the most important films of the year. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have the. Uh, this is what, there, was, there was quite a few uh, sort of honorary awards last night, um, and one of the notable ones was the European Achievement in World Cinema Award, and that went to Piers Brosnan. Yeah, um, I think that's a, it was a really great choice when you actually look back on his career. He's always, or he's he's balanced, particularly in the later part of his career, the cross between Hollywood and Europe, and even merging that completely together with a production like Mamma Mia yeah and he seems he seems quite humble he seems very thankful for the opportunities that he's had uh, he's not po-faced about the Bond stuff um, he and he really seemed thrilled to have yeah. it like he really was excited about the award and he seemed very grateful for it and I thought that it was completely well deserved yeah, absolutely agree. Pierce Brosnan kind of goes under the radar a bit these days, but I think, yeah, they did this kind of montage of all these films and did make me realise how much he's been in and how much impact he's had on the industry. Yeah, um, so that was it, a nice was, moment. it was introduced as well by Suzanne Pierre, who directed Brosnan in Love Is All You Need, the 2010 film, uh, which also stars Trin Deerholm, who is up for the Best Actress Award for her performance in Thomas Vinterberg's The Commune. And that love is all you need is on uh, home cinema as part of the European Film Awards collection. If you do want to check that out, one of his recent uh, European productions. 
Okay, and uh, we're about to hear from our interview with Paul Laverty, but first, let's just quickly go over some of the other awards uh, that were handed out last night. So that was uh, Best Animation went to My Life as a Zucchini, Anne Osterud and Janos Bileskov Janssen won Best Editing for The Commune, which Jake mentioned there is available on Curls Home Cinema. Uh, Alice Normington won Best Production Design for Suffragette, and a film called Land of Mine. Uh, went home with costume, hair and makeup, and best cinematography. That's very impressive. And then uh, A Man Called Over won Best Comedy Award. Yeah, uh, there's a few films there that we haven't seen come over to England yet, Um, but this event has really got me excited about them, particularly Land of Mine, going over with all of those awards. Really want to be checking that out when I get the opportunity. And a real, real surprise that I wasn't expecting to see was The Commune for Best Editing because it is very understated. It is not a film that I necessarily would think, oh yeah, the editing in that is great. Um, It's not like it's Mad Max Fury Road or something, and it's all about how many cuts are in there. It's the use of the cuts for dramatic purposes, and it's a very understated film. And you look at Vinterberg's previous film, Far From The Madding Crowd, which is quite a swelling, romantic operatic piece and the commune is uh, far different from that and it's very intimate and I think part of that is the rhythm of it that creates that dialogue between all these different characters and for an editor balancing a dinner table is an enormous task because you've got to that camera has been positioned in about eight different places (laughs) and they they would have rehearsed who's looking at who and when and it's a nightmare. And I think with The Commune, because the whole film is about eight different people all in dialogue with each other, the editing on that is a real achievement. So well deserved. Yeah. All right, now we're gonna hear from um, Paul Laverty, who was nominated this year for Best Screenwriter for I, Daniel Blake. Paul Laverty has been Ken Loach's go-to screenwriter for many years now, and they've got this really great partnership uh, that's, they even managed to pull Ken Loach out of retirement for I, Daniel Blake. And uh, we sat down yesterday and had a chat with him. Uh, so, so Paul jumps right in here and he starts talking about his relationship with Ken Loach. So this is uh, me talking to Paul Laverty. Because um, we've known each other for so long, we're very close friends, we've got many other interests outside film. So it's very easy to, to work with them. And we've got very different jobs. You know, he directs, I write, but we meet in the middle as filmmakers. So it's we've very different jobs, but our loyalty is to the project, and it's great to have a collaborator who's so tough, because he's a very demanding collaborator, but he's also a very generous one, because it's, you know, you've got to just imagine, you've got to imagine the story, you've got to imagine Daniel Blake, mm. you know, there's one thing getting all the information, there's one thing doing all the research, there's one thing trying to figure out what it is, but after all that's all you've done all the research which is almost like journalistic work then what you have to do is forget it and then you've got to have Daniel Blake and you've got to have Katie Morgan you've got to have the families you've got to the delicacy and the intricacy and the subtlety of very very precise human human characters so um, so what we usually do is you know we usually talk I like to test an idea so I put things down on paper you know and perhaps have several options then we try and decide what might be the strongest premise to a story. 
and then once we think about that, then I'll just go and write it. And then in the writing, it often changes. Yeah. And then after I write the whole thing, which I do in private, then we look at it and then we try to be our own toughest critics. You know, but with this one, Daniel Blake, you know, the first draft and what we filmed was, fortunately, was, was very close. But it was after, you know, a lot of time traveling the country, talking to people, talking, you know what the whistleblowers are? Whistleblowers, people inside the Department of Work. I don't know if you've seen I, Daniel Blake. Have you seen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I've seen. So, you know, it was very important to get your head around the complexity of welfare law, which was very, very complex, but that's an abstraction. What you have to do is talk to people about their lived experience. And it's only by talking to them you say, ah, you're three hours on the phone. What's on the phone? Vivaldi. Well, that's driving crazy, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, things like that. And it's all those lived-in details that make, help you dramatise a bureaucracy. And what was very interesting too was speaking to whistleblowers inside the Department of Work and Pensions. Because then you realise they had been bullied too. In fact, if they didn't carry out enough sanctions, enough penalties against people, which is a political decision, um, if, you know, what I found out that they were put on something called a personal improvement plan, a PIP, they call it. So in other words, if you, do, you weren't cruel enough and carry out enough sanctions, you would be put on a PIP. It's called a personal improvement plan. If you didn't carry out more sanctions, you were thrown out. And I actually met a whistle, I actually met someone who refused to do it, who was kicked out, lost his job, and ended up in a food bank, you know, just like Katie in the story. So it was very important to understand how workers were being bullied by their political masters as well. And then that gave us the capacity to have confidence to say, this isn't just a bureaucracy, this is actually systematic cruelty against some of our most vulnerable people. And they know that, you know? And it's very, very interesting because the film has led to an enormous debate in the UK. It's been mentioned about seven times in Parliament. Damien Green is the minister in charge of it. And he's accused us of, um, he's, he's called it fiction, as if that was enough to, I mean, it makes me laugh how crude they are, you know, as, uh, as if Grapes of Wrath or Dickens wasn't fiction, you know, as if I, I'm not saying we're that level, but I'm saying is, you know, that telling stories can relate to a political and a truthful reality. So they're very, very crude about it, and of course they hadn't seen it. So that made it all very, very funny. I mean, they really are not only crude, but they're stupid. And of course, as soon as they denied that we were exaggerating, of course, all the evidence just opened up and they were deluged by case after case after case of people whose lives were much, much worse than Daniel Blake or Katie Morgan. So it's led to a real big, big, um, a real big debate back home. And I think, you know, it's been very interesting too. I've been talking to people in, in Spain who've told me that um, they see this as a film of the crisis, they make it their own. And it's had a very good um, run in Italy and Spain. And I was speaking to people today from Greece and I think, they, I think they're suffering that in a more acute way. So it's funny, I think people, although they see something that's very British, I think what they do is they see parallels of working with bureaucracy and that fight for dignity that Daniel tries to have. And of course, it wasn't just all about state cruelty. There was also, hopefully in the film, a lot about you know, solidarity and friendship, people looking after each other, you know, empathy. You know, so, um, Anyway, that's what we tried to capture quite a lot in the film. Did you have any idea that it was going to have that impact when you were oh, making it? Oh, no, you never, you never know, really. Right. I actually remember the day. Um, it was very, very funny. You know that little bit at the end? You know, my... 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My name is Daniel Blake. You know, I'm not a number of that. I just remember being in a cafe one day and it just came to me, you know, and then I changed his name. You know, I had a different name, but I wanted a name that was kind of like existential Daniel Blake or something very English about it. I mean, because it was going to be filmed. I'm Scottish, but I like the name. And Daniel is an old biblical name and it always feels to me like it's a name of kind of stubbornness and dignity. So, you, so I mean, I remember just changing the name, you know, I, Daniel Blake. And so it's very, very funny now. There's graffiti all over the place, you know. Moi, Daniel Blake in different countries. Somebody sent us demonstrations, you know, photographs of demonstrations in France. And it's on monuments, it's spray painted on all over the place. So it's, you've just got no idea when you're scribbling away something might have this echo really, you know, it's always, always, you, you never know with films, you just never know. When you, um, mm-hmm. before you wrote this film, Ken was retired supposedly, yeah. uh, could you imagine anyone else making this script? Um, well, I could imagine it, mm-hmm. yeah, but uh, it would have been, I suppose it would have been different really. I mean, every, every filmmaker has, has got his, have got, the, have got their own sensibility and strengths, and there are some, there's several Filmmakers, I think, who would have done a, a very good job as well. But, um, but I have to say, working with Ken on this was a great pleasure, and I think he, he got fantastic performances. I think what's greatly underestimated too is how he finds people. You know, we, you know, we, we do the casting together, but I think he's got great instinct for people. Uh, Dave Jones, who we're delighted with. Dave's a stand-up comic who'd never acted before. Haley, who I think is a really brilliant actress of tremendous subtlety and intelligence. She's a really, really bright, bright woman. Um, I think she was very, very special. And what was very good too was Newcastle as a city. It's a working class city, ex, you know, shipbuilding, you know, and there's a kind of an energy to these places. And you kind of live off the city because all these people in the food banks were real people in the food banks. The people in the street are real people. You know, a lot of the, the, the lawyer who acts for Daniel then is a real lawyer. You know, so you live off, you live off the city. And I think Newcastle was a great place to, to shoot in. Yeah. So, I mean, I think few people would have taken those radical decisions that Ken would have done in the, in the, in the implementation of the story. But um, the great thing is we do that together. You know, I'm there for the shoot and we talk and we share the, you know, the look at the locations together, look at the casting together. And, um, and you just try to be a supporting help to, because it's very demanding. And Ken, although he's got great energy, at the, when we made the film, he was 79. You know, so maybe it's 80, so. Okay, so that was Paul Laverty there. Right, let's go on to Best Actor. Yeah. One of the uh, major awards of the evening, and the nominees for this were 
Rolf Lasgard for A Man Called Ove, Hugh Grant for Florence Foster Jenkins, Dave Johns for I, Daniel Blake, Burgart Klausner for The People vs. Fritz Bauer, Peter Simonishek for Tony Erdman, and Javier Camara for Truman. Here's who I predicted. Actor for Sam is Peter Simonishek for Tony Erdman. And actor for Jake is... Dave Johns for I, Daniel Blake. Yeah. Okay. What made you go for Dave Johns? Um, I think I thought people would connect with the, the fact that he's a non-actor made a really different performance, I think, because I, I can't imagine Dave Johns being very much of a diva on set. Uh, I imagine like he really gets just stuck into the task at hand. Yeah. And because he doesn't have that experience there there's a there's an innocence to Daniel Blake isn't there yeah and that um fish out of water as well that he becomes having to deal with new technology and the new way of the working world and perhaps I think something from Dave Johns's working career may have translated into that as well and I think it's quite a it's quite a quiet performance, but at moments it's very intense and it's very frustrating to watch. And I think people feel a personal connection to him as a character. Like he's, he could be someone that you know very easily. And a lot of that is down to John's performance. That's why I've gone for Dave Johns. And why have you gone for Simon Ishek? Well. I think because this is a character that could have gone a complete different direction. So uh, Peter Simonishek plays um, the father in Tony Erdman, who has gone to surprise visit his daughter, and he's realised that she's taking life way too seriously now. She's obsessed with her job. She's quite lonely. Uh, everything is about making other people happy rather than herself, um, and all is career orientated. So he kind of begins to play these pranks on her. And he could have been, well, no offence at all, but he could have been this kind of Robin Williams type character, this really over-the-top clown figure. But he's actually really a really sympathetic character who's just every time he's on screen, you feel like you really know him and you feel like he is really fatherly in a really good way. And I think he pulled that off very well. And the winner of this award was Peter Simonishek. Oh, so that makes it 2-2. Two, two. In the battle, two. yeah, the battle for the uh, for the sausage. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Uh, next award then uh, was for best actress. Who did you go for? I feel like we might have gone for the same one on this. I think uh, we have. Yeah. So we both went for Isabelle Huppert. We certainly did. Yeah. For L, uh, we watched this the other night for the first time. It's an extraordinary film. It really is, and it is. She is key to it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, some bizarre um, links to things to come yeah. in terms of her character and the plot of the film. Um, but she is a uh, very successful woman who is raped. And then the film, I don't want to say any more about it because I think you have to go in knowing very little about this film. Yeah. Because it I, really plays on what you expect it's, from it's, a rape revenge film. Yeah, it's all, it has been touted as a rape revenge comedy, but I think even that is trying to pigeonhole it too much because it's not necessarily about revenge and it's not necessarily a comedy either. No, it's a really bizarre film in many ways. Um, Tonally, it completely 
you have no idea where it's going at all. Yeah. Um, but I really rate it highly for that. And Isabel Huppert completely is the centre of this film, and it wouldn't have worked without her. No. So I think, yeah, she probably should have won. Yeah, it is for a, us anyway. Yeah. In terms of complex characters, this this is like. This has so many things to be thinking about yeah. all at once. Uh, even as an audience member, just trying to grasp who this person actually is yeah. and what they want is a task in itself. And so actually trying to become that person and understand their actions and thoughts is something I couldn't comprehend. Yeah. And she just looks like she just slips into it. From the beginning to end, you never know what else they, uh, Michelle's thinking uh, is a Lupin's character. And when she does things, you have no idea why she's done that. Mm. Even when the credits are rolling, I'm still left in the dark. Um, But that's the power of a performance, I think. Yeah. And I think with awards, sometimes we've seen it a number of times with the Oscars, people might give awards not necessarily for the film they're talking about. Mm. Uh, They're just using that film as the poster for it. Like a a body of work. Like when Scorsese won for The Departed, that's the famous example. Or even for Leonardo DiCaprio, it's his turn. Yeah. I think maybe just the um, EFAs don't work like that perhaps mm. it's a bit more genuine I don't yeah because for me her performances this year in Things to Come and Elle just kind yeah. of combined and it's a real powerhouse year for her so the other nominees for European Actress were so Isabel Huppert for Elle Sandra Hula for Tony Erdman Trin Dierholm for The Commune Valeria Bruni Tedeschi for Like Crazy and really interestingly Emma Suarez and Adriana Ucart for Julieta. Yeah. So two actresses, because they both played the same character, one in the past, one in the present, um, but they're both nominated for the same film, which I think is a really nice way of doing that. Yeah, I think this is a really strong category. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this, although we, we have both gone for the same thing, it could quite easily be any of them going yeah. into it. It was very hard to predict. There was no, no one jumping out, and we... We got it wrong. We got it wrong because the winner was Sandra Hula for her own Tony Erdman, uh, which isn't a bad thing at all because she has perhaps the hardest role in the film. Definitely. Because Peter Simonyshek has, he has the character. He has the title lead. He's the one that the audience sides with, the one the audience likes. She has to be the cold-hearted daughter. Yeah. And still, but she still remains a a sympathetic character I think yeah you don't dislike her no not at you, all un- although we like her father and we side with him we also get that frustration when you're trying to do a job and someone is trying to tell you to take it less seriously yeah that is a tough thing to deal with and although like you might understand that at some level that intrusion just feel so irritating yeah and you do get that from her but without she doesn't doesn't she she doesn't lash out she's not sort of some grown-up adolescent that's Mm. just having a tantrum against her father and i think you've got that balance in her performance between what she knows what she doesn't want to admit to herself as well absolutely um so the next award of the evening was the Lifetime Achievement Award, and that went to Jean-Claude Carrière, who's the writer on things like Serena de Bergerac, um, Unbearable Likeness of Being, uh, Valmont, and many other films, so well-deserved for that. Uh, should we move on to Best Director? Yep. So the nominees for Best Director were 
Paul Verhoeven for L, Christian Mongui for Graduation, Ken Loach for I, Daniel Blake, Pedro Almodovar for Julieta, and Marin Arda for Tony Erdman. Again, really strong uh, nominations there. Yeah. Uh, I think the Paul, Ver- Paul Verhoeven has done something he's never done before in L. It doesn't feel like a Paul Verhoeven film. And then Ken Loach coming out of retirement to really um, to sort of take over everything for the past few months. Everyone's been talking about Adonio Blake's great achievement. Almodovar, after um, I'm So Excited, which wasn't his best film, I think he would even agree to that. And audiences didn't quite take to it. He's come back with a really powerful drama about women, which is what he does best. And I think that should not go unrewarded. And Christian Mungri, uh on our London Film Festival special, Kate Kane, um, really loved Graduation. I'm sure we'll be talking about that very soon. And then Marinada for Tony Erdman, which we've talked about many times tonight. Again, a real great achievement there. Yeah, I think that with the people nominated here, you've you've got the with Christian Mungio and with... Uh, Marinada, you've got something different. Mm. Whereas the other three are like these are people still at the top the of their guard. game, yeah. but they're still doing what they do and they're doing it to the best they can. Absolutely, yeah. So it's a celebration of old and new, which is what Rotslov is as well. Yeah, which we were saying earlier. That's that's really good. Mate. That's really good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You I'm poet. Glad I thought of that. Yeah, you poet. My my pick for this one was Ken Loach. So Kenneth of Loach. Yeah. Papa Loach. Papa Loach. Um, I thought there'd be more love for I, Daniel Blake last night. Yeah. Because I thought... We'll talk about it later, but uh, we'll, we'll get on to that. My pick for director was... Marinada. Marinada. Who was the winner? So, well done on your win. Thank you. Uh, so, I'm currently leading the sausage campaign. You're leading the sausage campaign. Marinada, I think, as we said with the actress category, if any of these won, it would be deserving. But what she's done here maybe has just captured people in a different way. Yeah, I think because, as we mentioned, they are the old guard, the other directors in there. And I don't want to say we've seen things before, but it's like Pedro Pedro Almodovar makes Almodovari films. Yeah, and that's what Julieta is. Yeah. Unapologetically a very Almodovaresque film. The same with Daniel Blake. I, Daniel Blake, is very Ken is a very intense Ken Loach. It's pure Loach. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like, this is the concentrated thing. Loach. That's exactly yeah. it. Uh, he these are things that perhaps he might talk about in the allegory of other films or in the subplot of other films. They are the plot here, and so it is these are the things that Ken Loach directly is addressing. But it's very much a Loachian film. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas we don't know, um, like, Marinada... What is Tony Marinada Ar- Yeah, it's very much yeah. an unknown quantity, so it came as such a surprise and such a, like, breath of fresh air for so many people. Yeah, and there's a kind of purity to that as well, that this, this film exists in its own terms, of its, it's its own thing. Yeah. It's not based on anything particularly. It doesn't have a auteur behind the camera, maybe. Um, it's completely its own thing, and I think that's what people really want to. Yeah. And it feels very genuine, completely 100% genuine. Um, shall we go to best film then? The final award of the evening? Yep. The nominations were L, I, Daniel Blake, Julieta, Room, and Tony Erdman. Um, so, yeah, a lot of those we talked about um, before. They've been up for quite a few awards this evening. Room, I think, is the most surprising simply because it doesn't feel like a European film. 
Yeah. It gets in because it had a co. It's co-produced uh, by Irish production company. Uh, I loved Room, and that was. I think that was the first ever podcast, wasn't it, Room? It certainly was, and that is almost a year ago. So that's nice to see it still being talked about there. Uh, Brie Larson obviously won the Oscar for Best Actress uh, last year. Yeah, we had a brief uh, conversation, which I think we will be putting into a blog post uh, with Lenny Abramson, the yeah. director of Room, who said that he had effectively kind of uh, put Room away. Like he was, yeah. like, We had the Oscars and all the awards after that, and he had started development on new projects. And Room, the road of Room as a film for him had almost stopped. And then because this, the European Film Awards, is not campaigned, you don't do a big Oscar campaign. Yeah, it's a surprise. Yeah. And so he said this was just a really lovely surprise for the end of the year for him to almost, like give it a proper farewell, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And I, well, should we do our predictions? Yep. I can already see yours. You've gone for best film, I, Daniel Blake. I've gone for best film, Tony, Tony Erdman. Which one? Uh, Tony Erdman absolutely swept the board, and it got to a point in the evening where I just sort of turned to you and I said, all my predictions are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the reason I've put I, Daniel Blake for this, and Ken Loach for best director, and Paul Abdi for best screenwriter, is I thought there'd be, I thought two key reasons. One is that I thought there'd be more of a crossover with the Cannes jury and the European Film Academy. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought there'd just be a common way of thinking there. And also, I don't know, I just thought 2016 this year, it's been a very year for political debate, and this was the most politically inclined film there. I thought that because it's so topical and so relevant, and Europe's really taking it, and they really love Cambridge in Europe over here, I thought this would get it. But it didn't, it went to Tony Erdman. And I think that's probably because it's been such a turbulent year people want personal light-hearted comedy drama i'm not sure if tony Erdman really is light-hearted i think there is there is a lot of depth to it i and don't yeah there's definitely I mean, depth you, but i just don't, i think I, I think i'd still call it light-hearted depth it's definitely the issues it's tackling are very they're not worldwide they're not um affecting you know a huge oh, group yeah, of people yeah, it's I not think. a global that, yeah. comment film um, and I think it's just trying to introduce the idea of being light hearted mm. into an extremely stressful world yeah. and I think that's that's what we need in films sometimes but they still it's not just it's not an out and out comedy it does make you think about real things and the way that you approach life so do you think this is a good sign for going forward to the other award ceremonies for Tony Erdman? Yeah, I think I think Tony Erdman really is got to be the front runner for any foreign language film awards coming up. We've got yeah. it'll be the Golden Globes soon enough, and then we've got Oscars and Baftas. Yeah, I think and the it's... way that this has swept the board, and <clears throat> the way that this has swept the board, and the cult status that it immediately picked up after Cannes, everyone's talking about it because. It was such an anomaly. Everyone was saying, have you seen that three-hour-long German <laughs> comedy? <laughs> and you say that one sentence, and suddenly everyone thinks, I have to see that. Yeah. Like, that sounds so different. And the fact that it's not just... People aren't just watching it because it's different as well. They're watching it because it is uh, like a very touching, intimate film, 
that manages to be a massive achievement in terms of its creativity as well that it feels completely different but it feels important as well yeah so a very good night all in all for Tony Erdman um, was that writer actor actress director best film yeah and it's the first film to win best film at these awards directed by a woman yeah it won every single uh, award it was nominated for yeah, so that's a real achievement in itself. Uh, so we're going to end the show now just by going f- over our wild cards. So these were the things that we thought might happen in the evening. Did yours happen? My wild card did not happen. Oh. <laughs> Neither did mine. Oh. Mine was, I thought some... Because there's a scene in... Um, Tony Erdman where there's a lot of naked people... And then someone turns up dressed as a giant fluffy thing. Right. And I thought that would happen on stage as some sort of oh, the, sketch. The that, fluffy thing would come out. Someone would turn up on stage as that giant fluffy thing. Yeah. What was yours? Okay. Sadly, that didn't happen. My wild card was Ken Loach announces retirement again. Uh, okay. If he won. Yeah. So, okay, no, I'm definitely retired. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that would have only happened. Potentially it could happen, but I thought... If Ken Loach comes on stage for something, yeah. I think Daniel Blake is a, is a nice bookend to his career, sort of ending on that powerful statement that so many of his films mm. have, uh, have had. Um, but alas, I don't know why I did it really, because I didn't actually predict that, um, <laughs> anything that would involve Ken Loach going on stage. <laughs> so I shot myself in the foot there. <laughs> Okay, uh, so that's the end of our European Film Awards special. We want to thank Curzon Home Cinema once again for asking us to come out here. Uh, we had a great time with it. Yeah, really um, nice to see uh, European film being recognised in the way that it has been over here. Yeah, and do check out the Curzon Home Cinema European Film Awards collection because that has got so much on it that we've spoken about today. We've got Fire at Sea, The Commune, United States of Love, Mustang. Love is All You Need, the Pierce Brosnan film. You've got films nominated for the People's Choice Award, like the Brand New Testament. Uh, You've got films from last year's awards, uh, Mustang, A Pigeon Sat on a Branch, Reflecting on Existence, 45 Years, Goodnight Mummy, The Duke of Burgundy, Eda, Mr. Turner, Two Days, One Night, The Tribe, Locke. It's a massive collection, and it really gives you an idea how many incredible films are rewarded at this event. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, keep listening to the podcast every week, so every Friday, because in a few weeks or months' time, we will be talking about L. We will be talking about Tony, Tony Erdman when they get their UK releases. So keep an eye out for that and look back at our older podcasts and hear what we thought about I, Daniel Blake, Julieta, Room, Fire at Sea, amongst many others uh, that were rewarded for their uh, artistic achievements last night. So that's goodbye from me. Yep, and it's goodbye from me. I think someone's getting a Thurigian sausage for lunch. (laughs) 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 